thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. And today I'm going to take a break from where I was heading over the last couple of weeks to address a video that came out last week that's been viewed over 27,000 times on the issue of abortion produced by Arizona Pastor Jeff Durbin with, uh, I believe it's Apologia Church. And it involves a uh, a couple of other persons, namely a Pastor Brian in Louisiana and Mike Johnson, who at the relevant time being discussed in this video was a member of Congress and who you now know as the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with the video produced by Pastor Durbin, it deals with a bill filed in Louisiana a couple of years ago. Maybe it was 2022, but in any event, it was uh, House Bill 813, and that bill would have treated the unborn as persons for all purposes of the laws regarding homicide in the state of Louisiana. That didn't pass, and these pastors blame Speaker Johnson for its failures. Now, that may be an oversimplification in the minds of some, but that's essentially it in a nutshell. Now, I want to take this up on today's podcast because as Christians, we should believe what the Apostle Paul wrote that's recorded in 1 Corinthians 4.15, that all things are for our sakes. And if we don't see things that way, well, that's the first sign, I believe, that we have a wrong cosmology, which those of you who listen regularly know I talk a lot about cosmology. But as a reminder, and for those who maybe are listening to this podcast for the first time, it's a big word in academia uh, standing for the field of study that seeks to understand what kind of place this is. Um, what's it for in, in light of the kind of place it is and how does it work? And I'm going to say up front that I think cosmology is what separates the two camps represented by Pastor Durbin and Brian, and that represented by Mike Johnson and others who uh, take the same position on abortion issues. And that's what I'm going to examine today. Uh, but the reason I'm going to examine it and not shy away from this subject and potentially get muddied by their own uh, mud pies, I guess you could say, is I just don't think Christians can blow this disagreement that these pastors have with Mike Johnson and those whose cosmology is like him, off. We just can't blow it off. Because it's the dominant cosmology in the legal and policy community, and we also just can't express snide caricatures of the players, like you'd expect from someone who can't think any deeper th than that and has nothing to say that's constructive. If, and, and I've seen it from both sides. And if, and if that's what you want from today's podcast, then you might want to Go ahead and listen to Fox News or CNN for that. But I'm hoping today we can pause long enough to find what God might be trying to do in this circumstance that could be used for the edifying of the body and the building up of itself in love, and then that's spreading outside the confines of the body of Christ to the whole of the community. 
And that's my objective in this video. Don't miss it. It's not to be hurtful or to be mean or to um, lambast anybody. And, and I hope that will be apparent. Now, <clears throat> the reason I want to critique this video is that I believe God has given me experiences with both kinds of pro-life camps that are represented in this video. And I've been criticized by both camps for the work I've done on abortion. But I'm grateful to God because he's used it to mature my thinking, particularly as to my cosmology, which was rotten from about every direction you could approach it from. And I hope by relaying those experiences and what I think I learned from them and applying it to what I think I see in this video, I, I pray the pro-life community can find a fruitful way forward. Now, let me add, if I may, if you find this helpful to your thinking, may I ask you to share it with others? I would love to see as many who watched the video and might have been in one of the camps that just despised the other, that, that perhaps they could hear this and it would be beneficial to them. So what is it about my experiences that would be beneficial and to help you determine the, rel the relevancy of my experiences to what was taking place here? You need to understand that one of the things about the Louisiana abortion legislation that I think was very problematic, not maybe determinative, but, but certainly it started things down the wrong row, uh, was that it criminalized the pregnant woman for aborting her child as opposed to just the doctor. And that idea attracted the opposition of 70 pro-life organizations, according to the video, and Mike Johnson. And several of the names and acronyms that were used in the video would be familiar to you. Now, an amendment was offered to prevent the woman from being prosecuted, but it sounded like in the video that Pastor Brian and Durbin didn't like it. I don't know if the amendment was adopted or killed because they didn't like it, but at least it was referred to as an amendment that gutted the bill as filed. But anyway, whatever it was, it failed. Now, what qualifies me to offer any insight? Well, first, as my regular listeners know, I'm a lawyer like Mike Johnson, and I've been trained by and I've been allied with some of the same lawyers as he. And lawyers have a kind of perspective on law and an understanding of our constitutional system and its foundations that's foreign to most pastors and laypersons that I know. In fact, the foundations of law that I talk about are foreign to most uh, pastors and laypersons and lawyers that I know. But anyway, I, 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 I'm able to understand where he would be coming from because I, I've been there, okay? Uh, secondly, I've worked on the abortion issue as a legislator and as a lobbyist. So like Mike Johnson, I've, I've been a legislator. I've been people uh, like those in the Louisiana legislature faced with abortion legislation and how do you handle it? And, uh, of course, uh, Pastors Brian and, and Durbin, uh, spe specifically, I guess, Pastor Brian, who lives in Louisiana, was in some ways acting as a lobbyist for House Bill 813. Now, my experience comes from these two situations, and I think as I explain them, you'll begin to see the relevancy of them. First, in the year 2001, as a state senator, I filed a resolution in the state of Tennessee to amend the state constitution 
to reverse a state Supreme Court deduced right to abortion they found in our state constitution, and it treated abortion more protectively than even the United States Supreme Court did at that time. Uh, in fact, the Tennessee Supreme Court ruling pretty much followed the lines of the pro-abortion amendments that were added to Ohio's constitution in November and Michigan's last year. Now, it took 10 years to get that amendment through the General Assembly and on the ballot, but it was finally adopted, and it was the first such pro-life amendment ever passed by state. And other states have now followed that lead. Other states, since Dobbs, have tried to follow that lead, and they failed. But when it came to time to vote on that ballot measure, persons who had never worked on getting the amendment to the ballot never worked on the language, never said anything about it. They came forward and said, this is not a good constitutional amendment, and real pro-life people should vote against it. Now, in their view, as I think it would have been perhaps with Pastors Durbin and Bryan, it wasn't good enough because all it said was there's nothing in the state of Tennessee's constitution that secures or provides any right to abortion or requires the funding of an abortion. It didn't say the unborn were persons and thus make it unconstitutional for the legislature to enact an abortion statute. So uh, I was condemned by some folks in that camp for not going far enough. Now, on the flip side, in 2021, I didn't support a heartbeat bill that had actually passed the state house and was in the state Senate, and, and that was to the pleasure of some within what Pastor Durbin calls the established pro-life community. But my lack of support was different from theirs. I didn't like the way the bill was drafted because it implied that until there's a heartbeat, the person in the womb could be killed even if we know the woman's pregnant. Now, Pastors Durbin and Brian might have cheered that, especially if they knew that in response to my objection, I drafted an amendment, I dubbed the Rule of Law Life Act Amendment. And it said as soon as life is detected by heartbeat or hormonal test or other means, the doctor can't perform an abortion. It was opposed by what Pastor Durbin calls the pro-life establishment, just like he experienced in Louisiana. And in fact, At the very time I was testifying in favor of the amendment before the Tennessee State Senate Judiciary Committee, lawyers from a respected Christian organization that Speaker Johnson probably knows were meeting with our Attorney General and later that day with our Lieutenant Governor, who's the Speaker of the Senate, and with other members of the State Senate explaining to them why they should not go with the Rule of Law Life Act amendment I offered and give greater consideration to something that prevented abortion after 15 weeks. Now, I know this because those lawyers later admitted to me on the phone that that's what they had done. Of course, it was unbeknownst to me what they were doing at the time. And in that call, they also told me they didn't think it wise or prudent to adopt something like the Rule of Law Life Act Amendment because we didn't want to put the Supreme Court in an all-or-nothing posture to either have to reverse row or affirm it. We couldn't risk it being affirmed. Now, on the other hand, a man who I might consider in the Pastor Durbin Bryan camp, uh, who was in on the early 
planning stages for thinking how to get that amendment adopted, wound up saying in front of a couple of the legislators and the people in the room that he opposed it because it didn't criminalize the mother. And uh, to be honest, I said, well, you can do it that way if you want to, in which case I'm leaving, or you can do it my way, in, in which case he can leave. And so the legislators invited him to leave, and we went forward. And, and part of the reason that I did that is I knew that we couldn't pass any kind of bill that would put the question of whether the unborn are persons through the Tennessee General Assembly if it criminalized the woman. And in fact, uh, because of the opposition of those in the establishment community, we couldn't even pass that. Okay? So, you see, I've been caught between both camps that you would see in this video. But as I said, it was good because God used it to really refine my thinking in some ways I hope will be helpful to everybody. But before I go there, let me say there's some good things about what I've proposed and what was proposed in, in Louisiana. There is much common ground that that is a place to start working from. But I can't cover them in detail right now. But the one thing I thought was good about House Bill 13 is that it goes to the crux of the problem and confronts the argument being made by the abortionists, namely that the unborn may be human, which they really can't deny, but they're not persons in the constitutional meaning of that word in the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. And that's what House Bill 813 would have done. That's what the Rule of Law Life Act Amendment would have done. But that's one of the things that was problematic for so many Christian pro-life lawyers, and in turn, the pro-life leaders who trust them. Now, to help identify what I see as the real difference between the two pastors and Mike Johnson, which I believe is their cosmology, how they see the world, let me read some of what was said in the video. And I'll begin with a transcript of a clip of Mike Johnson that was used in that video. He said, quote, Obviously, I don't need to recite volumes of medical journals to prove the fact that an unborn child is a human being. From the earliest stages of development, the unborn are distinct, living, and whole human beings. They are nonetheless equal because they share a common human nature. Humans have value simply because they are human. And if you deny this, it's difficult to say why objective human rights should apply to everyone. Bravo. Great statement. Now, let me give you the transcript of the response of Pastor Brian that immediately followed that quote. But the truth is, he fought to kill a bill that would do just that. Now, uh, before I mention what else he said, I, I want to mention one other thing is an experience as a legislator and, and that I've had as a lobbyist. It wasn't clear to me in the video if the sponsors of the bill, or particularly the legislators that were signing on to it, would know that the bill was criminalizing the woman. I mean, I read the bill, and it was one of those bills that says, change this language in, in this section, change this language in this section, delete this language in that section. So unless you pulled all that out and read it, you might never have realized that the bill was criminalizing the mother. Now, whether you think we should or shouldn't do that, um, as a legislator, I hated being told what a bill did and then finding out it did something more than what I thought it did or I was led to believe it did. And I don't ever want a legislator to vote for one of my bills and say, well, you didn't tell me this. In fact, I get in trouble with some of them now because I talk too much 
And it's kind of like, yeah, 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 I don't need all that. But I don't want them to later come back and say, well, I, you didn't tell me. And say, well, I tried to, but you told me shut up. I was talking too long. So, so I don't know if they did their job as lobbyists or not. But I would say that that's something else that needs to be considered in this, apart from cosmology, is just making sure that everybody that was originally for the bill was on the same page in understanding exactly what the bill did. And, um, and as a lobbyist, that's your responsibility. Um, you may say, no, that's the legislator's responsibility. But when they're sitting on so many committees and working part-time and have hundreds of bills coming across their desk, you need to help them as much as possible. They're just part-time. And so that's where uh, the lobbyist like me or Pastor Brian has to really do our job. Now, let me, let me move on. Later in the video, Pastor Brian said this. He, referring to Mike Johnson, has said very publicly that he believes life begins at the moment of fertilization, when the sperm and egg meet, and the child begins to grow in the womb, and that life should be equally protected from that moment forward. He says that's what he believes when he's speaking to the television cameras, when he's speaking to pro-life voters, and when he's speaking to donors. But the truth is he fought to kill a bill that would do just that. Now, when I heard that, my heart sank because I took it as a dig. And it implies, at least to me, that Speaker Johnson is not really pro-life. He's, he's at best a hypocrite and at worst a liar. But for reasons I'm going to explain, I don't think that's the case. But I'm also going to explain why these pastors might think that, which I don't know if that's what they thought or not, but certainly if you listened, I think most people would come to that conclusion as I did. As I said earlier, I believe the tension or the conflict between the Durban side and the Johnson side is in what I think are the two cosmologies in operation here. And in many ways, I don't think they're different. Just opposite applications or different applications of the same cosmology. Which again, it's a big word. It's a refresher. It just means what kind of place do we really think this is and what's it for? And how does it work? Okay. Now, I also want to add here, before I get into these cosmological issues, that I'm using the word cosmology as distinct from the word worldview or Christian worldview. Because worldview or a Christian worldview, it seems to me, has been reduced or has reduced God to simply a proposition on which we base our ethical judgments. And on that point, the worldviews of both the Durban and Johnson camps would produce the same ethic about whether abortion is right or wrong. It's their cosmology that determines how you work that out based on the kind of place you think this is and how it works and what we're supposed to be doing, you see. So cosmology is bigger than worldview because it goes to those issues. And, and, and so how do you work out this ethic uh, in, in your life, in your family, society, law, civil government? And, and, you know, even whether we do work it outside our homes and church buildings, because there's some cosmologists that say Christians don't need to be doing that. It's just strictly a personal, familiar and church issue. Now, let's get to it. 
I'm going to start with what I think is the cosmology behind the understanding of law and the advocacy of law expressed by Mike Johnson. And to be honest, the overwhelming majority of Christian lawyers that I know who work in the field of Christian public policy and legal advocacy. And I come to this as one who thought the same way until the last year, and especially when it comes to the field of law that I studied. So my desire here is to be helpful, not condemnatory or hurtful. So relevant to this, uh, you see, I believe all Christians will acknowledge that God is on his throne and God is sovereign. That's part of our cosmology. But when it comes to legal advocacy regarding public policy, lots of Christians have a hard time applying that in practical ways because we see in front of us judges and panels of judges and, yes, legislative bodies who don't share our ethical worldview or our cosmology. The Christian cosmology that I did not have says God is intimately involved in the disposition of everything because he's both transcendent and imminent. Words and the meaning and application of which um, to my knowledge, were never emphasized to me, and if they were, I, then I was too much of a spiritual dullard to, to get the implication and application of them. But this theology is found in Proverbs 16.33 that I, I, I read the other day, and it says that God even oversees and disposes of the casting of the lot in the lap. And that's an incredible cosmological statement. You see, it acknowledges that you and I really throw the lot. But God, by the Holy Spirit, is so intimately involved in sustaining and directing and governing all things, what we used to think of as providence and we don't even think much about anymore, and, and that he is disposing of our volitional acts in the way that accords with his purposes. That's why the word of God, when we proclaim it, whatever we think our purpose is, will always accomplish God's purpose, as it says in the book of Isaiah. So truly, we live in a cosmos in which all of life, all changes in life, and all being exists in him, as was said by the Apostle Paul on Mars Hill and recorded in Acts 17, 28. That's why he is near to all of us. And that's why, in another practical way that exposed my cosmological failure, the scripture says we can't live by bread alone. You see, I took that verse as an analogy, not as a metaphor. Bread is ineffective for the nourishment of our body unless God, by the word of his power, as it's put in Hebrews chapter 1, makes it effective in us. You see, I put the laws of nutrition as working automatically without any involvement by God and thus outside his purview. So it was an analogy, not a metaphor. I needed food to live, so I needed the word of God. But I didn't see there was a correspondence that just as God has to make your food work, you need his word to make it work. You can't live without his word. So that's the kind of cosmos in which we live. And I didn't understand that most all of my 60 plus years of life. Now, in juxtaposition to this cosmology, and what I believe may be behind the Christian lawyers who don't want to put the issue of personhood directly to the Supreme Court, is a story, another metaphor, I think I could put it, that was told by a leading lawyer in a Christian legal organization 
while he and I were discussing legislation that would challenge Roe, specifically the Rule of Law Life Act Amendment, and legislation I drafted that would challenge the Supreme Court's same-sex marriage decision, Obergefell versus Hodges. And the reason I was told that we don't enact laws like that is that the Supreme Court, he said, holds all the cards, and like a magician that directs his patsy to a predetermined card, the justices use their questions from the lawyers in front of them to elicit answers that they're going to then use to reach the conclusion they've already decided to, to express. So, he and others like him have said to me, they've even testified that day in front of the Tennessee State Senate Judiciary Committee, we don't want to put the question of whether the unborn are constitutional persons in front of the U.S. Supreme Court until we have enough justices on the court who agree with us. Now, that's where I believe Mike Johnson would be coming from. I see it all the time. I've experienced it. Now, now let me share with you my cosmologically driven reply that I hope you'll find helpful, and there are two parts to it. And perhaps it'll help those in the Durban camp understand why Speaker Johnson could be objectively pro-life but not express that in legislation the way they would. So first, I told the lawyer, I thought there was a problem with his analogy to the card magician. The Supreme Court doesn't hold all the cards. God does, and he owns all the games. So it was, it was a bad analogy, and it was a bad metaphor. And while I acknowledged to him that we didn't then have a Supreme Court that would reverse Roe, Justice Ginsburg was still in the court, and Roberts could not be counted on for a fifth vote. In fact, Roberts didn't even vote in Dobbs to overturn Roe. But I said that by the time the lawsuit over the rule of law life language got in front of the court, things could change, specifically. I said that if God knew we needed another pro-life justice to reverse Roe, uh, that, for instance, Roberts wouldn't be the fifth vote, and it was in God's timing to do so, he could remove Ginsburg, and she'd be replaced by the kind of justice Trump had promised. And he agreed that could happen. But here's the thing, the possibility that Roe might be affirmed was something that just shouldn't be risk. There was, as those lawyers told me on the phone after they'd lobbied against the Rule of Law Life Act Amendment, that there'd be a better time when we had more justices on our side. The assumption being the Supreme Court was only going to get better and might not ever get worse. And that's an unfounded assumption. But in any way, uh, interestingly, Justice Ginsburg died two months to the day following our conversation, and Justice Barrett, who replaced her, was the fifth vote needed to overturn Roe. Just, just saying. So those who object to what Durbin was trying to do, even if the criminalization of the mother had been accepted, they need to realize that in, in warding off this bill, they have failed to put before the Supreme Court the question whether the unborn are constitutional persons and a result of their actions, pro-abortion amendments to state constitutions are proliferating and we can't defend and stop them. So if Johnson is the reason the bill failed in Louisiana, well, the Durbans are the reason we're spending millions on state constitutional amendments regarding abortion. So there's Plenty of fault if you want to look at the world in a flat cosmological way to do some finger pointing and blaming if that's what we want to do.
And, and that's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying that we need to examine our own selves for our part in where things are at the moment. Now, the second part of my cosmological reply to this lawyer who said, uh, uh, going to the Supreme Court's like a card game with a magician, is I said, think about Proverbs 21.1. If we're Christians, we have to believe it. And it says the heart of the king is directed by the Lord in the same way he directs channels of water. Now, now that sounds great. And I, and I love that, <laughs> that picture. But I think many have a hard time believing it when it comes to how to pursue legislation and take issues up before the Supreme Court. And the reason I believe we have a hard time with believing God, not the Supreme Court holds all the cards and is in charge of the games, is what I came to realize about myself. My thinking was so saturated by evolutionary cosmology. I'd been told, I don't know if specifically, but I just knew because of everything else I'd been told that the laws of nature pertaining to erosion, soil composition, water, and energy, that's what channels water where it runs. God wasn't involved. So as a practical matter, I had a cosmology that was more like that of a deist or a pantheist than a biblical Christian. You see, my, because my cosmology was wrong about where streams run and why they run where they run, I had a hard time believing God really directed the heart of the king in any practical way, only in a theoretical or abstract way. And again, perhaps that's what Pastor Durbin and Pastor Brian need to see is not Mike Johnson, the liar or hypocrite, but someone who, like me and many others, is just living under the wrong cosmological story, the wrong metaphor system, the one that says the Supreme Court holds all the cards in the games, not God. And, and I believe that if Speaker Johnson began to see the cosmos differently, and we helped him see it differently, as God's helped me, then he might be open to considering how to get the necessary question before the court, or the unborn constitutional purposes. And moreover, how a biblically sound cosmology could be restored underneath our law, because it doesn't exist. The biblical cosmology is kaput and gone. And the latter, restoring that cosmology to our law would change everything. I mean, to be honest, I don't think much of anything I see going on is trying to restore that cosmology. And thus, I don't think what we're doing is going to change anything until we start to pay attention to that. But that's a discussion for another day. Now, I want to explore the possibility that Pastor Durbin and Pastor Bryan might benefit from a further examination of their cosmology. And I say might because I don't know them like I know the legal and policy professions. But in my work, I run into a lot of pastors. And among those who are politically engaged, I see some things that I think deserve more consideration. The first thing is that we need to be careful of perfectionism on this side of glory. Not expect the process of sanctification, of moving from glory to glory, to work itself all out and everybody all at the same time. Um, charity and looking for where the other person might be in that process and what's going on in their thinking and trying to help them is a good thing. And sadly, to be honest, it's not been my strong suit in the past, particularly when it comes to people who are looked up to as leaders, and, and I, I think they're just blowing over these questions. I, I can get far too agitated and irritated, but so I need to drink my own medicine here. But related to this perfectionism would be a consideration of why we would think that all the consequences and outworking of a problem like abortion must be addressed at one and the same time. In that regard, let me 
I ask you to consider what, how God revealed the mystery of his salvation. It was progressively. And as a friend of mine said on my favorite podcast, Jock Knox Unplugged, he said, I think God did so because his people had to have a sufficient understanding of God and the cosmos, the way things work, for the work of Christ and the glory of Christ to even make sense. In other words, we needed a big enough cosmology and vocabulary even to begin to fathom who Jesus is and what he did. So if we apply that to the situation in Louisiana, had the bill just focused on the wrongdoing of the doctor, like I tried to do with the Rule of Law Life Act Amendment, and hadn't been considered gutted because it didn't address the woman, well, it might have passed. And as I said, um, the issue of the unborn and whether they're constitutional persons might be on the way up to the Supreme Court and we wouldn't be fighting all these pro-abortion amendments to state constitutions. So why would I connect the criminalizing of the mother and the process of God's history of redemption uh, together? And that's because I don't think we've built up in society and maybe even in our own ranks within the church a sufficient understanding of life, what it means to be human, and the glory of women in being able to bring a new life into this world. I mean, motherhood is looked at as a distraction and a trespass from things that are supposedly more valuable than bringing life into the world to replace the lives that will die. What a glorious thing. So, um, I, I'm not sure that um, we have enough people who would understand why a woman who may, in fact, be in a terrible situation should always be subject to prosecution and incarceration. So, perhaps the better part of wisdom, before proceeding in this area and losing progress in relation to the doctor and the personhood issue, uh, would be to consider the variety of circumstances that might confront a woman, not to excuse the decision to abort, but, but consider it in relation to that of the doctor who's just making a buck off these women. And consider that, uh, uh, particularly in certain situations, if there are minimum sentencing requirements, that could produce an unjust sentence as opposed to a just sentence. So, I think, too, uh, consideration should be given to the cosmology of Matthew Hale in relation to kind of what I'm talking about here. Uh, Matthew Hale was a great common law jurist in the 1600s, and it was his theology, his cosmology, that undergirded his development in the law of the presumption of innocence. Uh, we tend to think it's always been around, but it hasn't. And, and here's just a quick aside. Law can develop as we gain wisdom and understanding, it, along with persons and society, can mature and work itself more pure if we don't have to get everything done at one time. Anyway, I digress there. So Hale thought the gift of life and liberty so great that it would be better to let five persons who might actually be guilty go free than to imprison one innocent person wrongly. And why would he think that? 
because his cosmology said the wheels of God's justice begin to turn immediately upon the commission of sin. That's why we need to keep short accounts with God on our sin. Sin seeks to take dominion over us. So in other words, Hale understood that no one gets off. No one escapes justice. So when a mother chooses to kill her child, God's justifiable wrath against that sin begins revealing itself in her and in those around her, if we could but see it. And it continues until the final judgment, absent repentance. So there's that thought about why maybe we don't have to deal with everything all at one time. Now, there's one other final cosmological issue that I think may be lurking here that may be the most devilish of all. And I can't say whether it's true of these two pastors, but it was sure true of me. And I think I see it in many of the Christians that I work with in the sphere of public policy. And the root of this cosmological problem is found in chapter 3 of Galatians. There, Paul tells us that even God did not give us a law that could impart righteousness. God alone does that work. And we can agree with that in terms of salvation or justification. But I think it goes further than that. So think back to my example about how water's channeled by the laws pertaining to erosion and not by God using those laws in the way he intends for the water to go where he intends. In other words, when, when, when we don't realize that we've been polluted by evolutionary thinking, we'll tend to think of the world as a machine that's run by and forms things by law. See, that's the law of erosion is what shapes the course of the stream. And, and we don't see it as a living organism operating according to the spirit by the word of power and by our law of faith. And that's why I thought for decades that Christians must change lawmakers and thus the law and then those laws, like the laws of erosion, would in themselves create or produce a righteous society. I mean, that's why I ran for office in 1994, thinking that way. But that's an evolutionary cosmology, not a biblical one. And to be honest, I believe it's just a different expression of the cosmology that tells lawyers that judges hold all the cards. But in this case, it's civil or civic law or social law, not God, that holds the key to righteousness. Righteousness produces righteous laws. And what I think may be happening is Christians are trying to do with law is we're trying to discipline those whom we fail to disciple. So I hope this has added something to the discussion. And I hope those in both camps can come together and say, how can we use this circumstance that God's brought about for the edification of the body and the building up of itself in love and let that wash through our communities. And I hope in some ways I've contributed to that with today's podcast. Well, thanks for joining me. And I look forward to seeing you next week on the next episode of God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org.
That's FACTennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at FACTennessee.